Hello goblins and ghouls, and welcome to another installment of my Haunted Life podcast with me, your host, Angela Hartshorn. How is October treating you already? Have you been able to watch any good horror movies yet? I am that person that watches horror movies and ghost shows all year round, so I don't really get into them right now. I am the type that will watch, like, 31 days of Halloween and go back to the nostalgic ones, and I can't even tell you how many times I have watched Hocus Pocus and Ghostbusters already. So, last week, we went ghost hunting. It was so much fun and absolutely awesome. A big thank you to Katie and Shane for coming with me. We definitely had some creepy experiences for sure. I haven't had a chance to go through much of the evidence yet, just yet, since it is my busy season. But soon I hope to get them up on the Patreon. Also, the first mini episode came out last Monday. What did you guys think? I'm still taking stories, so email me at myhauntedlifepodcast at gmail.com. And I think that's finally it for all the housekeeping. There was a little bit this time. This week's episode is all about one of the most haunted locations in Colorado. This place is one of my dream paranormal investigation spots. I actually created my first Patreon goal for a sleepover investigation there, which you can hear about later in the podcast. This week, I am talking to Michelle from the Outlaws and Lawmen Museum in Cripple Creek, Colorado. I don't have a lot of background information for you this time because a lot of it gets covered by Michelle, and I didn't want to repeat it. So, let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea. Make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. I am on with Michelle from the Outlaw and Lawman Museum up in Cripple Creek, Colorado. What, so where, how did you get involved with the museum, first off? So, um, I was working actually in education for the past seven years in special education. Oh! So I went back to school to get my history degree and go into education, and about two and a half years into my uh, college degree, I decided that I no longer wanted to be in teaching. Ah! I figured, let me go ahead and finish, get my degree, and maybe uh, figure out what to do from there. So, museum work sounded pretty interesting. 
And um, so I interviewed, actually the jail position came up twice. The first time I never was called in for an interview, and then the second time I got called in. And surprisingly, they hired me to take over the museum. That's so fun. Because I, I went to school to be a secondary history teacher. So nice. I, I understand your vibe too well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's amazing how uh, uh, working in schools and with people ruined that for you, the idea of wanting to be yeah. a teacher. Uh, you know, the students, I love the students. I miss the students. Yes. It's everything that comes on the back burner that people don't see, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> I, that was exactly my thing. It was administration and parents that killed it for me. Yep. Yep. You're absolutely right. Yep. Because I went for high school history and then got involved with elementary para. And yeah. I, I loved it. I loved all of it. But yeah, the everything else was like, it, uh, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, I bless them especially now yes. more than ever. It's, it's harder than ever, so... Um, kudos to those teachers out there for sure. Definitely. I have a few friends that are stuck at home virtually teaching and I've heard horror stories. <laughs> I have a strong feeling we could complain about the state of our education system for a while. But, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's just keep going. So, uh, I mean, the museum, I... I grew up going to Cripple Creek and, you know, doing different things and going to Old West Towns. I had, I'm used to very kind of, I don't want to say rinky-dinky museums per se, but when I walked into yours, that's kind of what I expected, and it's not right. that at all. Oh, I was like really <laughs> surprised. Uh, even my husband was like, this is... There's, I think it's the State Museum in Arkansas in Fort Smith that's very well funded. That's what yours reminded us of, and it was just shocking how nice it was. It's very deceiving from the outside. We hear that a lot. People come in and they even hesitate, you know, paying the price to get in, which is ridiculously cheap. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they kind of hesitate for a second, and then as soon as they walk through that, that, door right into the main cell block it's like oh whoa didn't expect that so that's a very common uh, reaction that we hear and it's it's great I mean it's awesome that people embrace it at that point and they're like oh this was fabulous so we're very fortunate very fortunate no it I highly recommend anybody going up there uh so uh when when was everything built because it was actually a jail it was the jail Yes, so the, the jail was built in 1901 and uh, specifically to be the county facility. And um, they spent about $25,000, which is pretty cheap to build that building. <laughs> yeah, it's like a fortress. But, um, so it, right, so it was used from 1901 to 1992. And so that's how it came to be. When um, Originally, Criminal Creek was actually part of El Paso County which is Colorado Springs. Really? And when, when the, yes, when the gold started coming in, eventually a lot of the folks up here, a lot of the leaders were kind of tired of paying all the money down to Colorado Springs, so they decided to form their own county 
and that was it did not go well with <laughs> Colorado Springs initially because you know it's like Cripple Creek's gonna be pulling all that gold and money <laughs> out of their coffers. Oh, wow. so There's a little bit of fight, but finally in um, 1899, Teller County was formed and it became its own independent county, and hence it needed all its own county offices, and that's where the jail came from. Huh. I, I, you know, grew up doing history stuff, never heard the county thing. That's, I find that interesting. It was fascinating, yeah. Huh. It did not go smoothly, <laughs> let's just say. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. So, um, so there were inmates up until 1992, not that long ago. No, it wasn't that long ago. Yes, and so they had kind of a deal working out. So the jail was closed by the ACLU um, due to the conditions of, you know, having inmates in there. So the county had to make a decision whether to build a new jail or put all the money into the current facility to upgrade it. And so they decided to go ahead and give up that facility and start over. And so the new jail is in divide. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> right there off of Highway 24, almost right before Highway 67. I didn't even know there was a jail over there. I'm going to have to look for that the next time we go through. I had no idea. Yep. <laughs> um, so how did it be- end up becoming a museum in the long run? So when uh, so 1992 was also when casinos started. Um, they were just voted in by the state. And so... Uh, the facility was going to be abandoned anyway due to the closure, and they put the building on the market for approximately $1.5 million. They were trying to sell it as either a potential casino or a potential um, restaurant, bed, breakfast, whatever. They were trying to sell it and get the money, you know, get the money back to the county. Well, there were no takers on it, so eventually a group, specifically the Colorado Rangers, came in. And looked at it, and they thought, oh, this would be a really cool place to have a museum. And so instead of, of handing it over to them, the county and the city came up with an agreement, so the county sold it to the city. And the way the casinos work, the coin, some of the coin drop goes to Heritage Preservation. So they immediately started taking some of the Heritage Preservation funds and started renovating the jail for the museum. And in collaboration with the Colorado Rangers, there's a display upstairs in the upper level dedicated just to the Colorado Ranger history. So that's kind of how it, how it turned into a museum. The uh, Heritage Preservation Funds got it started, and actually it still supports it today. Hmm. Yeah, because uh, when we were up there last, when we ran into you, my husband thought the casinos had been there since the 1800s. He had no idea they came in so recently. Right. Well, they always had gambling houses and things like that yeah. throughout the, the big Western era or whatever. But when, you know, it was, it was deemed illegal, then, of course, that all went away. Um, and then, like I said, in, in 90, I think it was 91 is when it was put on the ballot, and it, it went into action in 1992. And so there's only three legalized gaming cities in the state of Colorado. That's uh, Central City, Blackhawk, and Cripple Creek. No, because my family are big history nerds, obviously, and we had to go 
up there before the casinos went in. So I remember mm-hmm. like the last weekend kind of thing going up there when I was really little and doing, you know, the downtown street before they went in. A little different, wasn't it? Yeah, from what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, in fact, there were still dirt streets because I remember we mm-hmm. took our senior trip up here, and I know that's like a millennium ago. <laughs> but um, the the, stu- the streets were still dirt, so they didn't get paved streets until after the money started coming in again from gaming because the city collects taxes on the on the uh, the gaming money. So, yeah, it was, it was dirt streets up until probably 92, 93. That sounds right. I remember, like, gravel or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's changed <laughs> a lot. Uh, so, I mean, the reason why we're here is talking about the paranormal and different things. So, uh, how were you, like, always somewhat interested or at least intrigued or is that by the paranormal or was that something that came in when you started working at the museum? So I've always kind of been intrigued with it. I've always been a little sensitive to things, you know, um, I've had, I've lived in a few haunted houses and I've always noticed, had little experiences, but I just kind of like didn't delve any further into it. It's like, oh, that was weird, and I didn't worry about it, think about it, and I didn't, you know, I just let it be as part of the home that we were living in or whatever. But um, interestingly enough, when I interviewed for the job for the channel, one of the questions, and I'll never forget that question, was, well, how do you feel about hosting ghost hunts and paranormal, you know, uh, groups? And I was like, well, that's the weirdest question I've ever had on an interview, and how do you answer that, you know? (laughs) That was on your interview? yeah. That was in my interview, yeah. And so, you know, off the cuff, I'm just like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. I have no issues with that. And I'm like, what just happened? (laughs) (laughs) So come to find out when um, I started, they had already had it set up to where a local group out of Victor a local paranormal group would come in and run the uh, investigations in the jail, open them up to the public. They would sell tickets, open it up to the public. And then they would um, basically they would host the paranormal investigation. They would show people who've never done it or, you know, who just have a little very, this was 10 years ago. So it wasn't really big then, you mm-hmm. know, it was still kind of an anomaly. Yeah, I can't say that word. <laughs> and so um, people were really interested. So they would come in, you know, they'd buy their ticket, they'd come in, and they would actually get to do an investigation. Every investigation was taken very seriously. All the equipment was set up, every bit of um, footage was looked at and checked on and it gave people that experience of what it was like to actually sit down through an investigation so that's really how it all started and of course the jail museum made money on that the investigators made money on that and 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 not a lot of money it was very nominal but it was it was fun and people it got people excited yeah so that's kind of how the whole thing started with the jail altogether wow so that, I, I love that you literally didn't have a choice in the matter. Pretty much no. <laughs> <laughs> 
once I committed, I was committed. That's awesome. <laughs> and it was it was funny because the the group is super nice group. They were great to work with. And eventually, they would be calling me. They're like, hey, Michelle, we're going over to this place. You want to come and hang out? And I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how I got more and more into it because they kept inviting me into different buildings. And so, um, it, and it's weird because eventually after, you know, so many investigations, you're like, well, gosh, what is this all about? What You have more questions than answers, for sure. Yeah. Definitely more questions than answers. Yeah, I think that's why so many people end up getting almost obsessed with it, is all you do is come up with more questions and not answers. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, have you had any paranormal experiences at the museum yourself? Of course. Um, I was actually located at the museum full-time. That was my full-time job for four years before I took over the rest of the department. So I spent 40 hours a week in that jail by myself sometimes. <laughs> so, um, and of course, I was always there uh, hosting other paranormal groups, so I'd be in there by myself waiting for them to come in and things like that. So the, the, the first experience I had was uh, cleaning the basement. My boss said, you know, you really need to get down there and clean some of that stuff up. So I thought, okay, this will be fun and interesting. So... Yeah. Um, I'm down there vacuuming, I had a, a, a wet vac, and I was down there vacuuming and cleaning up stuff, and something, and I cannot explain it, something touched my butt. <laughs> I was like, no. okay, that's weird, and I just stopped, and I said, knock it off, don't touch me, I'm, I'm doing work right now, and so nothing else happened the rest of that time I was down there cleaning, so I just made my rules very clear don't touch me. Um, so oh. that was my first experience there. <laughs> what a way um, to get introduced. <laughs> I, I know, right? You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, not oh. your territory. <laughs> oh, man. But, um, you know, I've ever since the first day I worked there, I always greet them in the morning. And when I leave, I always tell them goodnight and be good to each other. So, hmm. you know, I tried to build a rapport. So I've never had anything negative, never had anything negative happen. Um, I've had, the only other one that caught me really off guard was, again, I was in the basement, and it was in, I believe it was January or February, and I had one couple in the building, that's a really off season, and they were up in the upper level, so I went down in the basement to get supplies to restock the gift shop, and... When you're down in the basement, you can clearly hear people walk in and out. You can hear the front door, everything. Okay. Well, I wasn't really paying attention, and all of a sudden, I heard my name. Mm. And, I mean, it was very clear. It was muffled, but it was clearly my name. And I thought, oh, my gosh, somebody walked in. I didn't hear him. So I ran upstairs, and I'm looking around. I'm like, yeah, nobody there. So I went out on the front porch, and I looked both ways. And I was like, oh, crap, there's nobody here. And so... I realized, I stopped, and I said, okay, what what was that? And I can say it was my name. It was in a muffled voice. It was in a male voice. Mm. And I said, okay, so I've identified this really happened. So I just went back downstairs, and I laughed. I said, that was a good one, guys. You got me. (laughs) Oh, no. So it's definitely like the inmates that are haunting the area. Or the, the museum, right? Oh, yeah. 
So did, did they die, or do you think they just attached to the museum? I def, so I can only I only have two documented deaths in the building, hmm. and um, one was male, one was female, and those are like in the newspaper, documented in the books, everything. I haven't found. I mean, I've got like. 91 years of research to do yes. so i may find more but right now there's the only two that i have documented okay so i i don't necessarily associate and i, I really never have i don't associate a haunting because of a death in a building or in a place mm-hmm. like you said attachments absolutely i think there are entities that are attached to places um and honestly in our particular facility i believe there's even pastors. Our cemetery isn't that far out of town. No. And with all the energy, with all the other buildings and all the other hauntings, I think they wander. And I'm I'm convinced we've had other pastors come through that have no association with the jail whatsoever. I could see that. That wouldn't make sense, especially up there. It's kind of a current of energy flowing around. Exactly. <laughs> so... Yeah, I, it's not necessarily attachment to the jail either. They just they wander free sometimes. And sometimes in the middle of an investigation, we'll start asking questions and things, and, and we'll get all these weird, you know, like through flashlight play or even through recordings, you're like, what was that, you know? <laughs> and what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's very different, very different. Huh. So, uh, I guess... The best way I can put it is, what what are some of your famous residents of the jail, I guess? So, for many years, through you know, um, like the one group that we were initially working with, they've done so many investigations, about, and so when they get so much um, information documented, it kind of makes a story. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... They, they would always call one of the women upstairs the matron because she always seemed to be cranky about men being up there. Hmm. And, you know, we would always, they, men were either, you know, touched or hair pulled or things like that. She would always mess with the men up there. So we have the matron. Um, in the main cell block of the men's facility, we have Joe, and he's the one that's in solitary confinement. Oh, okay, I can't remember uh, his name. Yeah, <laughs> he tends to like young men. He prefers to interact with them, Ooh. and they they seem to have more experiences in that cell. And then downstairs, we have Emmy, and Emmy is a very sad young woman, and we're not sure what her story is, um, but we're pretty convinced she had a really bad experience in the jail why she's in the basement we don't know mm-hmm. but those those are the three main characters that we seem to have consistent interaction with um and we get random children too so because hmm. uh, uh uh one thing i forgot to ask you about the museum or the jail i should say held both all men women and children and upstairs yes. is where the women and the children were held correct yes which i could spend all day in the children's room reading everything 
<laughs> it was like the information you have documented on the walls is amazing. Um, I'm trying to remember any of the stories. Like I remember there was one about them, some kids killing a cat, and I didn't want to read that one, so I skipped that one. But it's a super funny story. But anyway. <laughs> As my cats sit in here and stare at me. Um, I know. I, I love cats, too. But the story, it's, you know, it's hilarious. It was a hit job, just so you know. It was a hit. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there was one. I'm trying to. Uh, what what were some things, I should just ask you, that uh, some of the children did to get in there? Well, so there were, there were some that were more extreme than others. The, yeah. The more... The more common crimes, so to speak, that the kids would be in there were truancy. So if they skipped school and they got caught, they would sit in there until their parents came and got them, usually, you know, within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. It's even 24 hours, usually. It wasn't even overnight. Um, a, the big blanket term for most of the girls, the younger girls that were in there, was incorrigibility. Yeah, that was my husband's be, favorite word. Yeah, so that could be anything from breaking curfew, because they did have curfew, or sometimes they got caught drinking, getting drunk, um, shoplifting, uh, breaking windows, so vandalism, you know, all those kinds of things. There were some that were in there for some, like, more serious crimes. There was a young young gentleman who was actually busted for uh, larceny, and his deal was he was passing bad checks. It was a whole mm-hmm. crime ring that, you know, he was passing bad checks, and he had no remorse whatsoever. He was totally into the game. Nice. And then there's another little boy that uh, he didn't do, for his first offense, he didn't do time in that jail because it wasn't built yet, but later on he got busted for other things. But he um, actually derailed a train. Yes. And a bunch of people got hurt. And it was like, dude, and, and it seemed like the same thing. He had no remorse for it because he, he continually got in trouble. So, you know, those were like the really higher crimes. But for the most part, you know, the kids were in there for 24 hours, maybe a few days, depending on what they did, carjacking, stealing cars back in the 50s was a big deal, <laughs> which is kind of weird. <laughs> Well, it's so or funny when you go now, away. like when you go now to Kirkland, <laughs> it's like nothing like what it used to be in its heyday. Right, it, right. You know, it's a so, cute, you know, the, so the crimes were all over the place. That I've, I've never seen, you know, we didn't have like, and I don't know if you've ever heard the name Anton Woods, he was the youngest convicted murderer mm-hmm. in the state of Colorado. So we, we never had anything to that extreme. Well, we had some kids doing some things that I was like, dude, you know, it's what, you need to get it straight because you're actually hurting people either yeah. financially or physically. So, now that 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 whole room was so fascinating to me. And then, like, then down the hall is the the women's area. Yes, and it it seemed like a lot were um, drunken and disorderly kind of uh, issues. I know there was at least one or two that killed their husbands. One for sure okay. killed her husband. Um, another murderer that I had in there actually cold-heartedly killed another woman. Oh, uh, she she ended up doing time in the penitentiary. So I missed. But that yeah, story. you're right. A lot 
dog, yeah. Mm. <laughs> she, yeah, she had no remorse either. She was, she was not a nice lady. Oh, wow. But uh, same thing with the women. A lot of offenses. Some, a lot of them, although they weren't arrested for prostitution, mm-hmm. because prostitution was never listed on the books. A lot of the prostitutes oh. ended up, and they're like you said, drunk and disorderly, uh, taking drugs. Uh, a lot of them got hooked on alcohol and drugs because of their situation. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing, though. There was a lot of larceny or you know stealing things, shoplifting things like that. And there were even women that abandoned their families back in the day, and their husbands would have them thrown in jail. Wow. Care of the and stuff. Yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> or a big thing, too, was insanity. Uh, and that was across the board, both men and women. Um, insanity was, mental disorders were not understood. Yeah. So it was easiest just to incarcerate them, observe them, and then if the sheriff's department figured that they were actually crazy, they would take them to, to court and when the court decided they were crazy, that they would be basically convicted, and then they'd be sent to a mental institution. Hmm. And that happened a lot. Yeah. So, with I'm historically, women would be incarcerated for hysteria a lot of times, which, mm-hmm. for anyone who is a child of history, that could be literally anything. And yeah. PMS, um, actual mental illness. Was the jail kind of used? Did you find any in cases of hysteria that were jailed like that? Um, or was it always just like a blanket was, insanity thing? It, it's ju- it's just listed as insanity. But okay. if if you're lucky enough to find the stories in the newspapers background. Uh, the one that really comes to mind specifically with that would be the Olga story, Olga Knudsen. I was good. Um, I was leading there eventually, yeah, because you told me this story yeah. many years ago, and I've been, like, so, I don't know, intrigued by it ever since. Yeah, she she is absolutely a great example of what you could call hysteria, Um she she had a case of postpartum psychosis. Mm. And, of course, who would have ever guessed that back in 1910, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so she was one of those cases that did end up in there as uh, insane and was convicted of insan- insanity. Mm. And ultimately, the day before she was to be shipped out to Pueblo, she actually died. She is one of the documented deaths in the jail. Mm. And... Um, I, it's it's sad that it, that it went to that point, but yeah, that's a totally misunderstood uh, situation with her. How do you know how she died? So after she was um, first put in the hospital, and the hospital put the handler. She refused to eat. She shut down. Um, she, well, she didn't shut down. She was violent, too violent. She refused to eat, and the hospital put the handler, so they had the sheriff's department come pick her up. So they took her into the jail, and same thing. She wasn't eating. They were kind of trying to force feed her the best they could. Um, And then she was upjudged insane, and they locked her up the night before 
they sent her to Pueblo. And the way they described it in the papers, she basically just kind of shut down. All her bodily fluids, everything, just bleh. She checked out. Whoa. <laughs> and she slumped to the floor. And so the matron on duty called the physician. The physician came and basically was kind of gave her a gave her some medicine, gave her a, a potion to help her get through the evening easier. And in my personal opinion, the way it came out, it sounds like she she was overdosed, and it was total accidental overdose. But she had no food in her system. Her mind had already checked out and then put drugs on top of that. And so I think it was an accidental overdose. Whoa. And that she was just done. She was done. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you think it was like a laudanum or a morphine or something? And who knows? Okay. They didn't specify what kind of drug they gave it, but yeah, all those were, were totally legal. Oh, and yeah. so... It was so easy, and that's how a lot of suicides happened, too, with overdoses. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was just, it was too easy to do that. And I think, I genuinely think that's what happened. I mean, we'll never know, Yeah. but I think that's what happened. Oh, wow. And so I didn't know her background. Uh, I just know some of the hauntings and the evidence that you've gotten from Olga. I had one group come in, and, and one specific member of that group spoke German, and they said they got all sorts of evidence in German, and I never did get back to them and find out what all they found, but oh. they were thoroughly convinced it was Olga. And personally, I don't know if she's still there. I, I don't sense that she is, but she could be. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, that one group, they were thoroughly convinced that was her they were talking to that night. I mean, anytime you get an EVP in a different language, it's just yeah. absolutely fascinating. Like, the hubs is very skeptical. Skeptic. I can't talk. It's Friday. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, when that happens, he's like, oh, there might be something to this. <laughs> That's cool. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, when people forget up here during the boom, I mean, we had every nationality here you, you name it they were here because they were trying to make their fortune you mm-hmm. know and so this group that came in before just came in recently and they had mentioned to me also they were speaking to somebody um god what was the language i think it might have been spanish oh and i was like well yeah that doesn't surprise me because again we had people from all over the world coming here and so, yeah, that didn't surprise me at all, but it doesn't happen often, which is kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, in Colorado, Spanish, uh, not too odd, but still cool. I mean, anytime you get that documentation, that's amazing. I agree. I agree. So, um, I gotta look at my list of questions real quick. Oh, uh, what's the story behind Joe? You know, I'm not sure. Again, this came from uh, a couple groups that had investigated so many times and so often okay. posted the, um, the experiences. And they came up with the name Joe and just through different flashlight plays and things like that and uh, EV 
MVP thing came up with that he was just into young boys. And Ugh. I can tell you, it's, I, I guess the first time I found that there were, oh gosh, how do I want to put this? That there were, in fact, men specifically that were incarcerated, not so much for child molestation on young boys, though there is a story about that. Come to think of it, I do have one. But that child molestation actually happened more often than you have thought. Mm -hmm. And and even back then. And so um, hearing that he was probably a a molester of of young boys is very, very probable. So just like I said, through different uh, investigations, it just kind of became determined that that was probably what he was in there for. Wow. And, yeah, looking at records, I would say I have no question about that whatsoever. Oh, so do you know who he is? Or have a good idea? I haven't come up with the name Joe. Um, I have a couple other stories of of molestations, mm-hmm. um, but Joe is not specifically the name that, are, that is attached to those. Huh. But who knows? But again, I, I have 91 years of you know, history to look through, and I've only scratched the surface in 10. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, I mean, what you have in there already is amazing. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, one of the questions from the Facebook group is, uh, do you have field trips like for the local schools come through and do the, uh, uh, the kids, have they experienced anything? So kids are kind of funny. They're kind of goofy. <laughs> yes, we have lots of schools come up. Um, and they're more up there for the, the history experience. But of course, there's always one kid in the group that's like, oh, I heard this is haunted, you know, and freaks all the other kids out. That would be me. So, <laughs> <laughs> that would have been me. So it's, it, in those cases, I, I take it with a grain of salt. If the kids come up and you go, oh my gosh, I just heard this noise. You know, oh. and I'm just like, oh, okay. You know, and I don't want to get them all freaked out and stuff. Yeah. But, interestingly, sometimes you'll have, like, a family come in. Oh. And they'll have younger kids. And sometimes the kids, they don't want to go in there. And I don't think it's because they're freaked out because of the jail. They have a feeling. Mm-hmm. Or they won't go upstairs. Or this one kid, I remember, so so weird because the family came up to me and they're like, yeah, they're like, our daughter is just walking through and she's having this whole conversation, not with us. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I got goosebumps to say Yeah, I just got goosebumps too. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, well, that's cool. And they're like, yeah. I mean, they were into it. I thought that was awesome. And she was like, four, I think, if even four. Oh. And yeah, she was just having a conversation with somebody that she was at, you know, apparently she saw or, or heard somebody. So those cases, I like, I I validate. I'm like, okay, that's, that's real stuff. So the school groups, like I said, they get a little bit hysterical and, yeah. and goofy. So I, I just kind of take those with a grain of salt. <laughs> I could see that. I know you were telling me, too, that the local drama 
class does uses it for a haunted house sometimes. Yeah, we've done that for I think two years. I think we did it two years. Um, prior to that, we actually had um, a big group of our EMS folks did it. But the the kids same kind of thing. They get a little bit over dramatized, and you know, <laughs> they're like, "Oh my gosh, that freaks me out." But all in all, I've, I've never had one of the kids come up to me after the whole haunted house thing and tell me, you know, that they had an experience. And I don't know if it maybe they don't want to share that. I don't know. Fair enough. You know, we know a lot of people that have experiences. They don't want to say anything because they're like, "Oh, people are going to think I'm crazy." Yeah. I feel like that happens more often than not, or people immediately write it off. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I, I've never heard any of the kids have an experience during the haunted house. But I can tell you um, what's kind of cool about stirring up that energy, because, I mean, hundreds of people go through that haunted house, or, like, during a special event up here on Cripple Creek, where I have a free admission day at the jail or whatever, and we're absolutely packed. Mm -hmm. Those are the best times to have investigations afterwards because the energy is so stirred up. Oh, and I bet. It's like, oh, yeah. Those are the great nights to have. Oh, <laughs> have my God, I bet. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> so, yeah, you do, you, you still run events. I mean, everything's a little weird with corona, unfortunately. But you do, there's still opportunities to come and investigate, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, you're right. COVID kind of shut us down and slowed everything down for a minute, but slowly I started having uh, investigative groups reach out to me, and um, we still have variances that we have to follow, so our maximum capacity is very limited, mm -hmm. but most paranormal groups are only, you know, like five, six people at the most. Yeah. Even. So what I do is um, I do offer to basically rent out the facility to an investigative group, and um, it's $300 for the evening, so you can start as soon as we lock our doors after hours, 5 o'clock, and you can go clear into the next morning, and we kick you out about 6 o'clock in the morning, but you can do a full investigation, you can spend the night in there, um, and the benefit of that, too, is you actually get to go to the basement, which is not open to the public. I so, didn't know the, the basement. basement. Oh, my God. Yeah, the basement is its own little thing down there. <laughs> oh, and you were telling me people had brought in food and, like, almost made it, like, a party atmosphere. So, yeah, I had a group of ladies come in, and basically they just wanted to stay in a haunted place. They weren't investigating or anything. They were just having a, a, a ladies' night out. And they thought it would be cool. But um, we do, in fact, have investigative groups. I've had a group from Australia actually come in. So oh, that's cool. Cool. And then what I'm working on, and it, I really got to get, I actually have three investigators lined up. Investigation one time, one night only in October. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as soon as I solidify that, I'll put that on our Facebook page, and it will be open to the public. Oh, cool. No, I definitely would love to get a group of, like, podcast listeners in there, because it's... Absolutely. So cool. 
Especially when you said we could sleep over. Just saying. Right. And, you know, a lot of groups in... A lot of paranormal groups, they, they totally understand that the energy level kind of dies at midnight there. Makes so a lot sense. of them don't stay overnight anymore, but it is an option for sure. No, I think that's amazing. Um, is there any, like if anybody asks, what is your favorite uh, story, haunted story to tell about the jail? What, what off the top of the head is the one you pick? I would say probably the night that we hosted the Butte Theater Actors and Actresses. Um, oh. The evening, <laughs> their energy is so amazing because they are so pumped and they're, they're almost like giddy kids. They're freaked out before they go in, but they're, they're so excited and so open to having experiences. So this one particular night, we had a bunch of them in there and... We break them up in groups, so you're investigating all three levels with different groups. And that particular evening, it was actually kind of a slow night. We had a little bit here and there. And I was leaning against the wall in the main cell block, and I had um, a shack hack with me. So I had my headphones on, and I was listening. And all of a sudden, I heard someone call me a, a bitch. And I was like... Okay, I'm going to leave, and there was still one investigator, and there were two, there was a, a, a male, and actually, it was a couple, a married couple, she was an actress, and, and uh, he was like an, an assistant director, and I said, okay, guys, I'm going to go ahead and leave the, the room, and you guys just have at it, so I'm sitting in my office, and all of a sudden, there's this scream, Mm. And we're like, oh, my God, what's going on? So <clears throat> rush out of the main cell block. She's in tears, in absolute panic. And we're like, okay, what's going on? And she saw a, a, a full-body apparition dressed in jail clothes lunge at her out of solitary confinement. No! <laughs> and, she, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's three of us were standing around and we're like, okay, just breathe. Just breathe, take a breath, wrap your brain around it, slow down, you know, and we got to kind of talk down. And she's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And so then she gets on the phone, calls her sister. She's like, oh, my God, I just saw so <laughs> She was so excited. I mean, that's like the but holy grail right there. It is the holy grail. We're just like, dang it, we all missed it. <laughs> but she uh, absolutely refuses to step foot in the building again. She will never return. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is, I mean, it's it's so amazing. Um, yeah. Wow. I, I, I'm like, I I can understand. I'm not going to lie. That sounds terrible. Well, no, I would, I would probably be all freaked out too, but then I'd be like, oh, whoa, I just got that. <laughs> right? I'm like, I, th- I think I would take a little bit of a break, but I, I would definitely come back. <laughs> But I'm weird. <laughs> well, thank so you. That's, that's one of the best experiences. Oh, that's amazing. Well, thank you so, so much. I definitely, like I said, I really want to do a, a, a hunt at some point up there with you. Uh, is there anything else you can think of you would like to share with the listeners today? Well, you know, um, I know all, a lot of this is about the haunting and everything, and, you know, Cripple Creek is considered one of the most haunted cities. 
but also not just always, you know, having that history degree, you should appreciate this. The history up here is just so amazing. Oh, yeah. So, you know, don't don't make it a destination just for, you know, the spooky stuff and everything. It's a destination totally worth coming for just for the history because it is something nowhere else in, in our country or even part of the world. Europeans are fascinated with this part of our history. So don't slough that off and, you know, come up here and enjoy it. Not just for the hauntings, but just for the history and all just the cool stuff. So, you know, get up here and visit us. And if anybody is interested in doing an investigation, just call the Geo Museum and um, we'll get you all set up. Awesome. Thank you so much, Michelle. I greatly appreciate it. And I'll get all the links and all that. And... A big thank you to Michelle for being on the podcast today and letting me explore the Outlaws and Lawmen Museum. We had some technical difficulties with streaming, so there's not any behind-the-scenes interview, but I will be doing a walkthrough of the museum in the semi-near future. As many of you know, this is my busy season at work, so I have fallen a little behind on podcast stuff, especially on the Patreon. As of this podcast, though, I should be all caught up on all the other behind-the-scenes interviews, so that's rather exciting. I also got my first Intelligent Haunt patron. Thank you so much for Callan, you wonderfully talented hair deity you. Callan really wanted to go on the last ghost tour with us, so I'll be setting up another one soon as we all have a chance. If you are interested in attending a ghost hunt or tour, please hop on my Patreon page. I'm looking into apps and equipment to create a virtual experience as well for those that can't attend in person. If you like the podcast, please rate and review me on your favorite podcast apps. It goes a long way to helping other people find me. I also have the Facebook group, and that's a lot of fun. So, thank you once again for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I'll see you next Monday on another mini-episode of My Haunted Life Podcast. Bye!